Today's gospel lesson comes from Luke 16, 1 through 13 in the message translation. Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? You're fired and I want a complete audit of your books. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough for a laboring job and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I've got a plan. Here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out onto the street, people will take me into their houses. Then he went at it. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bill, sit down. Quick now, write 50. To the next he said, and you, what do you owe? He answered, a hundred sacks of wheat. He said, take your bill, write in 80. Now here's the surprise. The master praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but forward is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to create survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just to get by on good behavior. Jesus went on to make these comments. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you're a crook in big things. If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. who either hate the first and love the second, or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you read the story, it was about a week ago, um, about a guy in Auckland, New Zealand, who got a, an email from his boss in some corporate firm to show up the next morning for a meeting about his role in the company and to bring a support person with him. Did, did you hear about this? Did any of you read this? So he kind of read the writing on the wall, knew what was going to be happening in the, um, in the part of the English-speaking world known as New Zealand. It's called not being fired, it's being made redundant. So if you Google this, look up redundancy meeting in New Zealand. So this guy thought, well, I'm going to be fired. I may as well make the best of this and make this whole thing look ridiculous. So he hired a clown for 200 bucks. And the clown came with him to the meeting with his boss, where his boss informed him that he was being made redundant, being fired, while the clown was making balloon animals. And it was so loud that they had to kind of say to the clown, could, could you keep that down a little bit? We can't hear each other. That is, that is getting fired with class. That is a total non-anxious response to a very serious setting. Today's scripture is about a, a parable that Jesus tells about a man being fired for squandering his 
boss's wealth. And then this protagonist in the story, the hero in the story, turns out to be a conniving, shrewd, somewhat manipulative, creative guy who takes a bad situation and tries to bring something good out of it. So this passage is, is known as the dishonest manager. It's also known as the shrewd manager, or the unethical manager, or the resilient manager, or the quick-thinking manager. There are so many different ways that people refer to this scripture. A friend of mine in this congregation said, oh, I'm really glad you're preaching on this passage on Sunday because I have never understood what this means. And I read that with that comment in mind, and I thought, I'm not sure I understand what this means. And I read commentary after commentary this week. And they all are befuddled with this. They all are confounded, even those who write distinct comments about this lectionary passage, about this pericope, but then every once in a while, one of them, most of them mention, but we really don't know what Jesus was referring to in this passage in the Gospel of Luke. One commentator, actually more than one, said it seems like someone came to the writer of Luke with a whole bunch of note cards filled with stories and quotes from Jesus and said, just fit this into chapter 16 somehow. Because they don't seem to connect. They don't seem to be part of a consistent, seamless garment. And so we could go in any number of directions with this particular passage. Pastor Sharon, I like the direction you took with the kids today. That, that's a good sermon right there. I'm not going to touch on that at all. Those of you who are meeting for Bible study in between services to discuss the lectionary, you could go in a hundred different directions just with this pericope just with this lectionary text. You, you heard the story. Jesus tells this parable of a man who is not being above board with his boss's wealth. He squanders it. The boss finds out about it, fires him. The manager says, I'm too old to lift and do heavy labor. I, I'm, I'm too proud to beg. I've got to figure something out so that when I don't have a job, there will be people who owe me something and they may take care of me because they owe me something. And so he goes out to those who owe his boss product and money. How much do you owe my boss? He says, well, one person says 100 jugs of oil. The shrewd manager says, make it 50 and we'll call it even. How about you? Well, this person said, I, I owe 100 bags of wheat. Make it 80. We'll call it a day. The, the boss finds out about this and praises the dishonest manager, saying, hey, you're really thinking smart about this. You're really shrewd. You are an example of how it is to survive. Now, this is really kind of difficult for our hearing because we think, wait a minute. Did Jesus just say that this shrewd, conniving businessman is 
the hero of this story? And are we as followers of Jesus supposed to emulate him? I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle with this. One commentator said, we need to look at the economic system of the day where there were a few very rich people in the Roman Empire and a whole lot of poor people. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day had bought into the system where they could get a little bit of economic advantage off of this unjust economy. The early church was wrestling with the same thing. The power brokers in Rome were the ones that set the econ economic uh, trends and empire really called the shots. And the early church, the early Christians was struggling. Do we buy into that system or do we remain faithful to God? And can we do both? And at the end of this passage, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. He said, you can't serve God and the bank. I don't know if we have any bankers in here. You can take offense at that. It's one of the translations of the, the scripture. But isn't this consistent? Oh, by the way, isn't it interesting? Who benefits from these deals? The poor people, the working class, if there was a working class then, those who get a break. You can hear some of the poor people cheering if you listen when Jesus is telling this story because it's this shrewd manager sticking it to the man who's calling all the economic shots. And it's the poor people who get a little relief. But isn't it like Jesus to lift up this unsavory guy this unethical guy, this guy that none of us really would want to be doing business with or have on our staff because he has squandered his boss's wealth. Can you think of another story in Luke where someone squanders his boss's wealth? In, in Luke 15, the prodigal son squanders his father's wealth. Same, same Greek word, to squander wealth. And who's the hero of that story? Not only the prodigal father, but the prodigal son who has come to his senses, that scoundrel who ran off with his father's inheritance and came back. And Jesus is saying, we need to learn from that guy and from the forgiving father. And even from the jealous older brother out in the fields who's still angry, so angry he can't even come into the celebration. Jesus not only lifts up people who squander wealth, but he lifts up people who would never be considered decent, clean, acceptable, righteous. The parable of the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Samaritans were not good in Jesus' day. They were seen as people who didn't worship correctly, people who were unclean, people who were mixed race. They had the biases and stereotypes and bigotry against Samaritans in Jesus' day was tremendous. And Jesus lifts up a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, as the hero. Do you see how Jesus is functioning on this? 
trying to get us to think differently about our stereotypes, think differently about our biases, think differently about our prejudices. A Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and demands for healing in her family. And a Syrophoenician woman is not Jewish, is not righteous, is seen as unclean, but she is the hero of that particular story. The woman at the well, not Jewish, not in good standing with the temple or the synagogue, and Jesus lifts her up as the hero of the story. Do you see how Jesus works? And so this dishonest manager becomes the hero. But I think we're also uncomfortable with this because we look at this guy and part of us sees ourselves in him, if we're honest. If we're honest, we know how many compromises we've made in our lives. If we're honest, we know how many deals we've made for our own advantage, maybe at the expense of someone else. Should I talk about taxes, filling out our tax returns? Maybe I won't talk about that. We know our integrity, and we also know where we've lacked integrity. And so this guy being the hero makes us uncomfortable. He's an imperfect person. And Jesus is saying to all who are reading and hearing and to us, the only kind of people that I deal with are imperfect persons. And so don't be afraid of your own imperfection. This guy is dealing with an imperfect setting, an imperfect circumstance, in fact, quite a messy circumstance. And if we're honest with ourselves, we look at some of our own circumstances and think, this is pretty ugly. This is pretty unsavory. This is pretty messy. And those are the only kind of circumstances God works with. What else is there? We look at this guy's response and we think, gosh, that's kind of an imperfect response. It's almost embarrassing. And we're uncomfortable with seeing this guy in the scriptures because we know that our responses to the imperfect aspects of our lives have been imperfect responses, inadequate responses, fragile responses. I'm so glad that we begin our worship today with the musicians leading us in, in singing that song called Fragile by Sting. How fragile we are. Indeed, how fragile we are. And that's the only kind of people God works with is fragile people. We are all fragile. And God's power is made great in our fragility. And God's grace is sufficient for us. Finally, the takeaway that I'm hearing in this passage, maybe for the first time in reading this passage for me, is that Jesus is saying, whatever your imperfection is, whatever your imperfect circumstance is, whatever your imperfect response is, go with it. Make something good happen out of that. Bear fruit right there, right where you are. 
Don't wait for things to be perfect. Don't wait for things to line up. Just start from here. Start from now. And do the best that you can to bear fruit. On Tuesday, I and about uh, 1,500 United Methodists are flying to Kansas City to the Church of the Resurrection for a conference on future leadership in the United Methodist Church. Where do we go from here? What do we do with this glorious inheritance that is United Methodist, that is in shambles, that is a mess, that may be falling apart, that may be getting ready for death and resurrection or some new expression, we don't know. But we're going to spend three days together praying, worshiping, talking, learning, teaching about some ways that we might take this mess that we're in as a denomination and figure out how do we start bearing fruit now. We're not going to wait for things to look good. We're not going to wait for things to be perfect. We're not going to wait for perfect leaders because there are none. We're going to take our circumstances as we are and look for what's next. It starts on Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock, and I hope you'll pray for us. My flight arrives in Kansas City at 4 o'clock. I texted a colleague of mine who's a pastor out in the Church of the Resurrection, and I said, uh, I've got a free evening on Thursday night because I had to fly out to get there by Wednesday morning. I see the Kansas City Royals are in town. Do you think it'll be hard to get tickets? Because I'm a baseball fan, if you don't know that about me. And he wrote back, LOL. And I realized that the Royals are 38 games out of first place. So, <laughs> but baseball is the great sport because it is an imperfect sport. Hall of Famers, I looked up how many Hall of Famers are coming from the Royals. Uh, Whitey Herzog, in the, in the Royals Hall of Fame, Willie Wilson, even Harmon Killebrew, George Brett, Freddie Pottek, some of you remember the, these guys from the 70s and 80s and 90s. They're in the Royals Hall of Fame. But those great hitters, they struck out or made an out two-thirds of the time. If they're batting 300, which is Hall of Fame type stats, they're in the Hall of Fame. 300, that means they struck out or made an out two-thirds of the time. Friends, greatness is not batting a thousand. We fail, we make mistakes, we stand up, we move on. We step back into the batter's box, whatever that is, and we try again. The spirituality of imperfection is the only way for us to keep being brave and faithful followers of Jesus. May it be so for you and for me, for United Methodism, God is still calling us to be brave and faithful followers of Jesus. Amen.